welcome to Peaceful Ease. We all have the necessary strength and wisdom to solve most of our problems. What we often lack is a quiet space to think clearly and calmly. This podcast is all about tapping into that zone of inner wisdom. My name is Mario Pereca, and I'd like to invite you to join myself and Ela Crane every Monday and Friday. We'll be here to guide you to that endless power and insight within until you learn how to get there and function from there by yourself. This is a journey about being authentic, learning how to trust your instincts, realizing that each and every one of us are not just enough, but also perfect the way we are right now. Hey everyone, Mario Pereca here, and I'm joined by Ela Crane, and welcome to the Peaceful East podcast. Right out of the gate, before I bring Ela on, I want to mention something super exciting that Ela and I have been working behind the scenes on for since we launched the podcast. And, you know, we, we've been getting great feedback from all of the listeners. We've been getting emails. We've been connecting on social media. And a lot of the content that Ela brings for the show comes from listener feedback. Well, now we have yet another way for wonderful listener feedback. We have a phone number, and I'm going to share it with you. And this phone number, you can call 24 7, 365, leave a message, and then we can play it back on the air, and Ela can answer your questions, give you some commentary and feedback. So I'm going to give you the number right now. You can write it down, have it handy. We'll mention it a few more times throughout the show today and upcoming shows. The number is 424-625-5562. Again, that's 424-625-5562. Call that number anytime. That's the Peaceful Ease hotline. And uh, we'd love to hear from you and add your comments and your voice to the Peaceful East podcast. That being said, Ela, what's going on today? I have a story for you today because I'm it's- reading this beautiful book and it's called Let Me Tell You a Story. And I would like to share one of the stories mentioned in this book because it's beautiful and it had a huge impact on me. Now, let me let the listeners know before you read that I have not heard this story yet either. So, this is the first time I'll be hearing it along with everyone else. So I'm anxious to hear it and I can't wait to talk about it. So by all means, tell us the story. Okay. It's like one and a half pages. So just bear with me because I didn't want to shorten it. It's just beautiful as it is. So here we go. It is called The Ring's True Worth. Master, I've come because I feel so worthless that I have no desire to do anything at all. People tell me I'm useless, that I can't do anything right, that I'm awkward and not very clever. How can I make myself better? What can I do to make people value me more, Master? Said the man. The Master, without looking up, said, I'm so sorry, son. I can't help you because I've got a problem of my own to solve first, maybe later. And then after a pause, he added, if you wanted to lend me a hand, I could take care of this more quickly and then maybe I could help you. I I would be happy to master, said the young man, feeling undervalued and that his own needs hadn't been prioritized. All right then, said the master. He took off a ring he'd been wearing on the pinker finger of his left hand and handing it to the young man said, 
take the horse outside and ride it to the market. I must sell this ring because I need to pay off a debt. You must obtain the highest price possible and do not accept anything less than one gold coin. Go and come back with that coin as quickly as you can. The young man took the ring and set off. Hardly had he reached the market when he began to offer the ring to different merchants who looked at it with interest until the young man told them the price he was asking for it. When he mentioned the gold coin, some laughed. Others turned away. Only one old man was kind enough to take the trouble to explain that a gold coin was too valuable to be exchanged for this ring. An attempt to help out, some offered him a silver coin and a copper urn. But the young man had instructions not to accept anything less than a coin, a gold coin. So he turned the offer down. After offering the ring to every person who he came upon at the market, and they numbered more than a hundred, he got back on his horse, feeling dejected at his failure, and back he went. How the young man wished he had a gold coin to give the master and help him solve his problem so that he could receive his advice and assistance. He walked into the master's room. Master, he said, I'm sorry. It's simply not possible to get what you asked me for the ring. I might have been able to get two or three silver coins, but I don't think I can fool anyone about what the ring is really worth. What you said is very important, my young friend, said the master, smiling. We must first know the true value of the ring. Get back on your horse and go see the jeweler. Who could know better than him? Tell him you will like to sell the ring and ask him how much he'll give you for it. But no matter what he says, don't sell it to him. I want you to come back here with my ring. So the young man set off once more. The jeweler examined the ring by oil lamp, inspected it with his magnifying glass, weighed it, and then said to the young man, young man, tell the master that if he wants to sell this ring right now, I can give him no more than 58 gold coins for it. 58 gold coins, said the young man. Yes, the jeweler replied. I know that if he waited a bit more, I could get closer to 70 coins. But if it's urgent that he sell it right away, the young man ran excitedly to the master's house to tell him what had happened. Sit down, said the master, after listening to his explanation. You are like this ring, a unique, valuable gem. And that being the case, only a real expert can deem your worth. So why do you go around assuming that anyone at all can see your true worth? And with that, he put the ring back on the pinky finger of his left hand. Here is the story. Wow, that's powerful.
I would love to know what the uh, actual ring looked like, <laughs> <laughs> just out of pure curiosity. But it's so true. When you have an expert, he was an expert in jewelry, obviously, and the jeweler, and he examined it very closely and he knew what he was looking for. And I think that it's very similar to us in life where when you want to get to a certain point or you want to be something specific or achieve something specific, you should probably go to people who've already achieved that or have been around that and can give you advice on exactly where you are in the process and how to get there. But we tend to listen to the people closest to us who may or may not understand where we are in our unique journey. So that's kind of what I take from that is like, you have to seek out, I think we all need help. I think we need each other and we're all unique. So we're all different. But I think that we need to not internalize so much the advice of everyday people and the opinions more so than advice of everyday people when they don't they just take a glance at us. They don't really know us. They're not there for the whole thing. Like the jeweler, he looked at the ring and he put it under the lamplight. He weighed it. He examined it. He took his time. Where I would imagine the people at the market probably took one glance at it and were like, made their snap judgment right off the bat. Those are some things that just come to mind for me right away. That's the first time I've ever heard it. I mean, I'd love to hear your insight. You know, this story made me think of what Muji, uh, a spiritual teacher who's now in Portugal, he lives there and he has these uh, satsangs, like um, week-long retreats, silent. And I went there, I stayed there once. It's beautiful. And when they asked him, saying, hey, Muji, what is the one piece of advice you would give anyone like what is the core of your teachings and he said don't take it personal and it's a very deep saying in a way because we do that all the time at different levels you know we do it like with criticism if someone criticizes us or if someone says anything to us we take it personal and not only that we take other people's anger or frustration personal. If we meet someone who's a bit frustrated or in a rush or impatient, we take that personal, thinking, oh, it must be me. Well, and to take it a level deeper, I think, I just had this conversation with someone not so long ago about the thoughts we think and how we feel about ourselves. And I asked the question, and I'll ask you this just as an example. Ela, have you ever in your life at any point up to this point, you know, maybe it was when you were really young, maybe any time that you remember, did you ever have the thought cross your mind? Maybe you didn't entertain it, but did the thought ever cross your mind that maybe I'm not enough? Have you ever had that thought in your life at any point? Of course. Yes. Well, guess what? So have I, and so have many other people. And what that means to me is we don't own that thought. Since we've all had that thought at some point, it's not ours, but people will defend that to the end. They'll, they'll almost put their life on the line because they form a belief around this thought and they own it and they make it theirs and then they feel that way and that's how they show up. But I think that much to your point, like with what you said, don't take it personal. I think with ourselves and our own inner dialogue, we don't need to take it personal. We can realize that's just a thought. I don't own that. That doesn't mean it's true. Who do I really want to be? And how can I attach my belief to that and show up differently? And what you said made me think of that because I just had that conversation not so long ago with someone. And it's like even the relationship we have with ourselves, don't take it personally. 
because you're going to have those thoughts. They come through to all of us, but you can put ownership on the thoughts that are going to empower you. We have that freedom as human beings. Yeah. And people, unfortunately, kill themselves to defend their beliefs. You know, some suicide, for example, is basically saying this life is not worth living and people proceed because they want to prove that it's not worth living. So beliefs can be very powerful. But if you think about it, like Dr. Wayne Dyer says, all these thoughts come to us like as if they're on a conveyor belt and they just are going through, like passing by in front of us and you don't have to pick any of them up. It's just beautiful. And my podcast on 10 minute mindset, I do the geo method every morning. And part of that gratitude intention outcome is I explain the fact that when you think about your outcomes, you know, a thought in and of itself has very little creative power, but a thought backed with emotion becomes infinitely powerful. So if you have this conveyor belt of thoughts going through your mind, you have the power to attach emotion to the ones that you think are going to empower you. If you don't believe it's an empowering thought or it's something that's going to take you away from where you want to go, that thought has no power over you if you don't put emotion behind it. You can move on to the next. And there's always another one. There's always like decisions. There's always another thought. There's always another decision to be made. Mm -hmm. And to me, the core of this story is self-value when the master says why do you go around asking for your worth that's because we do that when we don't know our own worth and our own value we need an external confirmation and this happens all the time to each of us in different kind of levels I just received an email from a young coach from Berlin this morning saying, where do I start? I want to do what you do. Can you give me a piece of advice? How do you seek clients? How do you build a business? And I said, look, the way I did it, that's the only way I know, was doing the work on myself. So whatever you would like to do with people, however you like to coach them, first coach yourself in that way. The work starts with you. Before I became a full-time coach, my job was coaching myself full-time. And then she replied saying, thank you for reminding me. I sometimes get impatient and I don't know why. And I said, from personal experience and through the people I work with, impatience is generally linked to a sense of what you said exactly, that this is not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Because impatience is a form of self-punishment. I say that again, impatience is a form of self-punishment. So when you notice that you're becoming impatient and you're turning outward to define your worth or your value, just check how you feel about yourself because there's probably some doubt in you 
about yourself and your capacity and your potential and thus making you question you and where you are. And that cannot be erased by any external comment or compliment that can only be released when you stop and pat yourself on the shoulder and say, you know what, I'm fine, I'm okay. I'm evolving, I'm becoming, I'm being, I'm expanding, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm on my journey. And then you can proceed without questioning, without doubt, without needing external confirmation. Because you will have the self-value, self-worth within you, which cannot be taken away by anyone or anything. I think that's so important. And I think value is so important because we all have those things that maybe aren't super valuable in and of themselves, but because the experience we've had around them, the memories we have with them, it makes them valuable to us. Like there are certain things I have. For instance, I have a ticket stub from a Super Bowl that I went to with my dad that it's just a piece of paper now, right? We already went to the game, but the experience we had at that game makes that stub very valuable to me. So I have it protected. I have it in a safe place. It's just, again, a piece of paper. But to me, it's extremely valuable. And I think that that's a lot like ourselves as well. I think we can practice valuing ourselves a lot just by looking for things that we love about ourselves as opposed to thinking about all of our flaws, looking in the mirror each day and making it a point to say, you know, what do I love about myself or something of that nature will force your unconscious mind to start looking for things that it loves, that we love about ourselves. And when we start to recognize those things and really take ownership of those things, that'll help us step into our own uniqueness and what we bring to the world. Mm. My approach is generally more be aware of what's happening. The negative thoughts, the self-criticism, self-deprecation. And by hearing them clearly, things are often released by themselves. So there's no need for forcing, for pressure. Because if this advice can be interpreted the wrong way and then it becomes like the... The affirmations become like a condition for love. Do you see what I mean? I agree with you. I think for me, it's like the awareness is the first step because in order for me to make the change, in order for me – because here's one thing that I do with myself a lot. I'll give you an example. I noticed that when – like little things. For instance, one time – and I'll give you a really specific example. I'm sitting at my desk doing my thing, doing my work, and I drop a pen. Big deal. You drop a pen. But I realized as I bent over to pick up the pen that I dropped, I called myself like four different names for dropping a pen. And then I stopped and I thought, wait a minute. If I was sitting next to someone who dropped a pen, I would probably bend over and help them pick it up. But I wouldn't think anything of them for dropping a pen. It was an accident. Why do I treat myself this way for an accident that means nothing? And so at that point, I had awareness but if I would have just been aware of it and not done anything extra, it would have still felt uneasy or felt unfinished. So I actually had to step back. I didn't have to do this, but I chose to do this. I stepped back from that situation after I had awareness and forgave myself. And that, to me, felt really good to release that and to say, you know what? You don't deserve to be treated that way. You know, I wouldn't treat anyone else that way. 
And so it's okay. I forgive you. You're valuable. And that helped me. That was just my personal. So that's kind of like an example of how I had the awareness. And now I notice whenever something like that happens, whenever there's an accident or I have negative self-talk with myself, I realize it's like I practice this stuff, but it still happens, right? It still comes up. I still say things in my own head. But now, instead of just letting it go and moving on, I stop myself. And I say, wait, what did you just say? That's not true. You are valuable. You are loved. It's okay. And that helps me a lot. Why do you think it keeps coming back? That's a good question. I, it's just a reaction. It's, a, it's not like I sit and think about it. It's just like something happens and it just comes up. It's like, oh, you're, you're so stupid or something as easy as that. And then I go, wait a minute. No, you're not. You're not stupid. But why is That's that not- your reaction? I don't know. That's a good question. So when I say awareness, this is what I mean, that knowing that what you have is the first level of awareness that you hear yourself saying these negative things to yourself Mm -hmm. and you're aware of that, but you're not aware of why this is your default, why Mm -hmm. this is your initial reaction. If you could find out that, which may lead to a kind of third level of awareness, Mm -hmm. but if you drill through these levels, you will release it. Now, what you're doing is replacing one conditioning with another one, a negative conditioning with a positive one. And it works. Not perfectly, but it works. It will ease. But what I'm talking about is like completely releasing any pattern that you don't need. You know, this is the thing. We often try to replace negative stories with positive stories, whereas there's an option, no story, no conditioning. No reaction, just awareness, just seeing the pen on the floor and looking at it and picking it up. No inner talk. That's the level I'm trying to get to. And that's the level I try to promote, just pure presence and seeing what is without commentary, without judgment. Just trying to get to that level of peaceful ease. (laughs) that's it it's in you it just needs some unlearning undoing understanding and a lot of compassion because probably you learned that reaction from someone maybe you were treated that way or maybe your parents or your siblings or your friends treated themselves that way so you saw and you learned so it takes some unlearning but that's it. Honestly, for myself, and we'll wrap this up in a minute, but I just want to finish that thought because this thought popped into my head and I'll just share it with you. I think for me, I don't think I saw anyone acting like that. I think I've just always, for whatever innate reason, held myself to a higher standard. And that's my own thing. I always saw myself as, well, everyone else can make mistakes, but you shouldn't. Why not? Why are I, you an exception? I'm working on that. <laughs> but that's how <laughs> ever since with you. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of compassion for others, but not so much for myself. And so that's what I've been working on the past few. And you say, I I agree with you 110%. Compassion is huge and empathy is huge. And I have that for others, but for myself, I needed to work on that. And that's what I'm in the process of doing. And only when you have it for yourself, your compassion for others will be genuine. Yeah. Because we have this conditional compassion 
for others. And also, even that's for most people is a selective process. Like we see someone suffering or someone homeless, then we have compassion. Someone poor, someone needed, we have compassion. Someone struggling through some kind of disability, we have compassion. But we don't have compassion for someone who's really wealthy but suffering or someone who is really angry but suffering. And compassion in its true nature is limitless. It's not conditional. But you can only get to that level when you feel it for yourself first because then you can have it in an unconditional format and share it with Others radiate it, not even share. Whoever you see gets a part of that shine and warmth. It's like melting the ice. It's like the sunshine that melts the ice in the mornings. That's a great visual. Thank you so much, Ela, for everything, for sharing all of this. I could talk about this for hours, but then we wouldn't have any other episodes. So we have to save some stuff for the other episodes. Do you want to leave anyone with any activities, ideas, questions, thoughts before we call it a day for this episode? Yes, please. So going back to the story and talking about self-value and worth, I would like to ask everyone, what do you ask people to have them define your value or worth? Just think about it. How do you try to extract your value or worth from external sources by doing what or saying what, what kind of questions that lead you to that illusion? That's a great question to think about. And if you want to share your answers with us, you can email us, hello at peacefulease.com. And you can also call us at 424-625-5562. You can leave us a message, let us know, and I'm sure Ela will be happy to answer any of your questions and provide you with additional information, commentary, and resources based on what you want to hear more of. So thank you to everyone who has been sending us emails and collaborating with us along this journey and being part of this with us. And welcome to anyone new if this is your first time listening. We look forward to speaking with you in the future and hearing from you. But until then, Ela, thank you so much for another fantastic, fascinating episode. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And do call us. I look forward to talking with you. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, that number 424-625-5562. Give us a ring in the Peaceful Ease hotline. Uh, I don't know why I named it that, but I just think it has a ring to it. has a ring to it, no pun intended. I like that. <laughs> but, um, Ela, thank you again so much, and I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Bye-bye. And I want to remind everyone, find us at PeacefulEase.com for more information. For Ela Crane, I'm Mario Pareca, and this has been another episode of the Peaceful Ease Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Peaceful Ease Podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with friends and family. Remember, the bigger the support, the more fun the journey becomes. If you'd like to get in touch with Ela, you can reach out to her at PeacefulEase.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, be kind to yourself.